The scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Let's turn our attention now to the reading of God's own word. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours come, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The grass withers, the flowers fade. But the word of our God endures forever. It's been a pretty long service so far. So, uh, Phil, if, if, if you can just kind of give me a wrap it up sign at the 45 minute mark, that'll be good. No, I'm kidding, of course. Uh, we're going to look at a very famous parable today, and we're going to look at it very quickly. I'm not going to do justice to this parable. If you get a chance, please. Read Tim Keller's Prodigal God because he says it better than I ever could. Um, it's a great book, but it's, it's a great parable. It's a great story. So we're going to take a look at it today. The parable of the prodigal son, or more accurately, the parable of two sons, because two sons are highlighted here. This parable is the third parable that Jesus tells in succession. Okay? So he tells three parables in the first a man with a hundred sheep loses one. 
So what does he do? He leaves the 99 in the open field to find and bring back the one lost sheep. And when he does, he calls his friends and he invites them over to celebrate with him. And he serves wreck of lamb. I'm kidding. In the second parable, a woman has 10 coins. She loses one. She does not rest until that coin is found. She turns over her whole house, and then when she finds it, she calls her friends and invites them over to rejoice with her. And in our passage, Jesus tells a story of two sons. One leaves the father with his inheritance. He's lost But then he returns, he's found, and then the father calls for an epic celebration. Three parables. Each parable highlights three things. The lost, the found, and the finder's joy. And because today is both Father's Day and part of Global Missions Month, it really is the perfect story for us to look at. First, the lost. You know, it's, it's easy to hear these three parables and come away with an incomplete view of sin. You might hear the first two parables and think, oh, sin is getting lost. It's taking a couple of wrong turns, few mistakes, going in the wrong direction. Well, if that's what sin is, then all you need is some directions in life. You just need a helping hand to kind of guide you back to the right path. Or you might hear about the prodigal son and think, oh, that's what sin is, the wildlife, the prostitutes, the partying, the alcohol, the the drugs, the sex, the fun stuff, that's sin. But what Jesus shows us in this parable is that sin is much deeper. It is far more entrenched. It's it's depraved. It's reprehensible. It's much more than a few innocent mistakes. It is a pervasive condition of the heart before it's ever an outward action. Sin is not rule infractions. It's not transactional. It's deeply relational. At its core, it's a failure to recognize the value of the Father and to love Him as you should. It's desiring the things of God more than God Himself. And this is egregious, especially because God's love for us, as we see in this passage, it is profoundly intimate and sacrificial. The younger son, he asks his father for his share of the estate up front. And this is the equivalent of him saying, Dad, I don't want you. I just want your things. You know what? I wish you were dead. Can we pretend you're dead and you give me my share of the property now? One of my favorite things to do is to troll my dad, so I actually did this to him. I asked him, I said, Dad, can we pretend you're dead and you give me my inheritance now? And he said to me, 
Come here, I got my nine iron for you right now. It's incredibly offensive. You don't say this to somebody. Who does this? Well, the younger son does. He has the audacity to say this to his father's face, and more surprisingly, the father agrees. He probably has to sell a large portion of his land to give the money to his son. That's the younger son. But the older son, on the surface, he looks very different. No parties, no drugs, no prostitutes. He doesn't sin by breaking the rules. He keeps them all. But he does the exact same thing. Because he cares more about his inheritance than he does about the father. When the younger son finally comes home, the father throws this epic party, kills the fattened calf. The older son is furious. Why? Because he already got his share. This party is coming at his expense. It's coming out of his inheritance. Rather than rejoicing and delighting and loving the Father, he's consumed by what belongs to him. It's not fair. At the heart, it's the exact same sinful condition that manifests in very different symptoms between the two sons. They're both lost and they need to be found. So how does that happen? Well, let's take a look back at the younger son. The younger son, he takes his money, he leaves home, he spends it all, he loses everything. And then everyone leaves him, and he's all alone. He ends up feeding pigs, and they're actually getting more to eat than he is. He's starving to death, so he comes up with a plan. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I'm dying. I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. His plan is to become a hired servant. Why? Because he wants to pay the father back. He wants to make enough money to earn his way back to sonship. His plan is not to be accepted as a son right away. There's no chance of that. But maybe he could earn it back. Dad, I'm not looking to be reinstated as a son now. How about I earn it back? Now, obviously, the math doesn't work. It doesn't add up. There's no way he's going to be able to repay his debt on the salary of a hired servant. But it's better than starving to death. So he returns home. And it says that while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran. Ran. He ran to him, he embraced him, he kissed him. Someone in the father's status in the ancient Middle East would never run. Children ran, 
Maybe women would run at times, but, but uh, wealthy, landowning patriarchs? Never. It's, it's undignified. You kind of have to pick up your robes, bare your legs, and run. But the father doesn't care. It's complete desperation. Emotional abandon. My son is found. He's home. Not only did he run, he embraced him and he kissed him. In the Greek, it literally means he fell on his neck. There's immediate intimacy. The son is obviously taken aback. He withdraws and he starts his speech that he's been rehearsing. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father doesn't reply. He ignores him. He turns and he yells at the servants. Bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. Shoes on his feet. Right now. Immediately. Hurry. What else? Bring the fattened calf. Kill it. Let's start the party. When he tries to tell his father that he wants to earn his way back, the father will have none of it. He calls for a ring to be put on his finger. This was a signet ring that wealthy people used back then that indicated their family status. <clears throat> the father is making a statement, you're not going to earn it back. I am giving it to you. I am paying. I will confer onto you sonship. I will do it. You are my son. You are no hired servant. Friends, if you're listening to this right now, and if you are like the younger son, you don't want anyone telling you how to live your own life. You're looking for meaning. You're looking for happiness. You're looking for success apart from God. This is the love of the Father who is looking for you. Will you come home to him? A God who will not let you earn it back, but adopts you as a child out of sheer grace. A God who runs after you, and especially for those of you who did not know this love from your earthly fathers, or if you've lost your father. You have a Father in heaven who loves you like this. What we know is this. It should have been the elder son who should have gone after his brother. But he's too consumed with himself. But in Jesus, we have a truer, a better older brother who set aside his inheritance and status to pursue us, to bring us back to the Father. Jesus perfectly obeyed the law. He paid the debt that we could never pay in an eternity. And through his finished work, if we believe in him, we're adopted as children of God. He does it all. But why? Why does Jesus do this? Hebrews 12.2 tells us Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. 
For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Why did Jesus die to save us? For joy. How often do we think of Christianity as obligations to fulfill? A moral code to adopt. Things you're required to do, things you have to forsake. We forget that the Christian life is celebration. It is rejoicing, singing, dancing, feasting. These are the images that we see in Revelation. At the end, at the marriage supper of the Lamb, when every tear is wiped away. The very first question of Westminster Shorter Catechism, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Jesus invites us into the joy of the Father, and this joy is a joy that delights in finding the lost. There are different types of joy, aren't there? You have your everyday pleasures, a really good cup of coffee, a beautiful sunset, a delicious meal. You have your occasional joys from weddings, from birthdays, or that joy that comes when the team that you have passionately been rooting for for 25 years wins an epic Game 7 in overtime. That is absolutely not a joy that I'm feeling right now. I almost didn't make it today. You also have your earned joys, where you taste the fruit of your labors, graduations, promotions. But you know what? It's an entirely different kind of joy finding something that was lost. You know, this Membership Sunday, it's a little bit more meaningful to me than most Membership Sundays, personally. Because one of the new members, he's not here so I can talk about him, one of the new members we're receiving back is my cousin Patrick. Pat grew up in the church. We grew up in the same church. He even went on a short-term mission trip with me to Oaxaca, Mexico, where we had quite a few adventures. When Aaron and I moved to San Diego for seminary, Pat began his studies at UCLA, where he was roommates for two years with Jeremy Lin's older brother, Josh. Pat would spend a lot of time with me and Aaron. I'd share with him a lot of what I I was learning in seminary. And when I started to do youth ministry, he served with me as a Bible study teacher. But at some point after college, Pat walked away from his faith. And I really hope he shares his story with us one of these days. But for 15 years, he was very, very lost. Over the years, my family and I, we, we wept for him. We prayed for him. And I'll be honest, by the end, I lost faith. I prayed with very little hope that God could bring him back. And then in January, he tells me just randomly, oh, I, I'm, I'm a Christian now. And I thought, what? I told him, come over. And I was so skeptical. I, I don't, I'm not buying this for a minute. I'm going to sniff this testimony out. I'm going to find the holes. But as he was sharing with me what God was doing in his heart, I was stunned. I didn't think it would ever happen. 
and I was filled with an overwhelming joy. There is no greater privilege in life than to see the dead raised, to see the lost found. There is no joy that compares to it. The reason I'm in ministry is I get a courtside seat to the finder's joy. And while, in many ways, we're like both the older and the younger sons, when it comes to global missions, at Exilic, we are very much the older brother. Based on our privilege, our proximity to the gospel, will we, like Jesus, go after our brothers and sisters who are lost? I love verse 20 because it says this, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him a long way off. While it's so important for us to seek and find the lost right here in our city, in our country, we cannot forget that our God is a God who looks for and loves those who are a long way off. You know, we we never learn from Jesus, what the older brother's response is to the father. And I think that's deliberate because the question is put to Jesus' audience, who is full of religious leaders and experts. How will they respond to the father? And for you who know Jesus, will you join the celebration? Will you call those who are far off to join the party Will you join the finder's joy? Let's pray.